This week's episode of Buffy Virgin is brought to you by DennisComics.com. Dennis is a cartoonist who appears on almost every episode of Buffy Virgin. He raves about monsters and recommends great horror movies that no one else has ever heard of. His two short comics in the Halloween issue Double Think that came out last year. Dennis's original graphic novel, Amelia, which is really the thing I should mention first. It's very Lovecraft meets David Cronenberg, and I know other people have said that, but it's a wonderful, dark, and interesting read. Pinup Art by Dennis St. John is also featured in issue 5 of Rich Tommaso's She-Wolf, uh, a super interesting read. She-Wolf is beautiful, artsy, and strange. If, when you're listening to Buffy Virgin, if any of Dennis's recommendations uh, for other films and stuff resonate with you at all, then you would absolutely love his comics. Dennis has a really well-developed horror sensibility that comes across in his comics. If you like horror stuff at all, you'd really enjoy his stuff. So get your horror comics fixed at DennisComics.com. That's Dennis with one N, D-E-N-I-S, and comics with an X because it's cool, C-O-M-I-X. In every generation, there is a virgin. He alone will watch the vampires, the demons, and the forces of darkness for the first time at least once a week. I am a Buffy virgin. Welcome to another episode of Buffy Virgin. I'm Michael. I'm the virgin. I've only seen up to season two, episode 21 of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. I don't know at what point this virginity will end, but still a virgin to all of Buffy, all 10 seasons. And on the show today, it's Dennis, a horror comic cartoonist. Hey, glad to be here. Travis. Hello, hello. And John. Hey, what's up? Not much. Hey, uh, so we wanted to start this episode in an unusual way to talk about Bad Eggs, which was an earlier episode, a couple of episodes ago, because John and Travis were not on the episode and they wanted to make a rebuttal. So we're going to do this quickly and then we're going to get to the rest of the episode. The summary uh, new segment called uh, Buffy Speak. Uh, We're noticing trivia, questions, themes, predictions, (laughs) kill count recommendations, you know, just the other million things that are on the show. Uh, So so please rebut. I thought, I don't know if rebuttal is the right word, but uh, I just felt that in the last episode, um, I was slightly character assassinated as being visually illiterate by uh, my dear (laughs) friend of many years, uh, Dennis St. John. Uh, He told a story in which uh, I was reading a Spider-Man comic book and I asked him uh, whether or not it was appropriate to actually look at the panels that had no dialogue. Now, I remember this conversation, actually. This is maybe 15 years old. 16, maybe, I don't know, something like that, um, is when we, he and I were living together. And the way I phrased it was not the way Dennis made it sound, which was, gee, do you think you should look at these panels? It was more uh, like, I realize I'm reading comic books wrong because I realize I'm not spending very much time on these panels. Is that really bad? And Dennis basically confirmed it. Yes, that's really bad. And you probably shouldn't read comic books that way because you're not appreciating them. It's something I agree with. Um, I now teach, among other things, uh, visual literacy, including how to read comic books is a thing I've actually taught (laughs) to other humans. So I just wanted to stand up for myself (laughs) in the way I read comic books a little bit. That's all. All right. Uh, I just um, used that opportunity to attack you for something you said 15 years ago. And uh, I actually think it was more like 11 years ago. I think oh, it was really? like 2006, maybe 2005. Okay. Um, Where were we living? Yeah, all right, I'm glad you... Anyway. Yeah, or, or we... I feel like it was right before I went to comic book college. Um, oh, okay. Uh, yeah, all right. <laughs> but we're cool, Dennis, right? 
Yeah, we're cool. Uh, sorry, I character assassinated, and I think even in Bad Eggs, I said "fuck you, John Landis." I, I um, do recall that. That that was fine. I I actually I was listening to that on my headphones as I was going uh, to get pizza, and I started busting up laughing in the pizza line while I was listening to that because that it really tickled me. <laughs> uh, but you know, you saying that does it has haunted me for years. So. Um, well, if it you makes know. you feel better, I think I just the thing I, in my defense is that I do know that's awful. I, it's not that I am not awful. It's just that at least I'm aware. Uh, yeah. Travis, did you also have a rebuttal yeah. from Bad Eggs? You know, I feel like my character was assassinated, but not quite as bad as John's. Um, I can't remember specifically uh, things. You know, there were some nice things said about me. So I guess there's not much for me to rebuttal, except for I think I was re- I was trying to rebuttal your weird, Michael, your weird premise from surprise, surprised by innocence. Um, it's like this whole sex, sex positive concept, which I, I don't, I guess I'm just not on board with that, that idea that like, that's a thing. But um, I guess the only thing I would say from the bad eggs was, I don't think anyone talked about this, that at the time Buffy says, Buffy says that she's saving the world from vampires to her mom, which we, the audience know is true but her mom thinks it's fake. But, and it isn't really breaking the fourth wall, but I was trying to come up with a phrase where a character says something true that we know about the joke, um, but the other characters don't respond to the joke as real, but it's, it's like an acknowledgement of, like, of a central plot point. I, just have, I never was able to come up with what that would be called. Oh, that would be called a joke. Yeah. It's kind of, it, it's a, there are jokes and then there's jokes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Um, I just want to point out that when you you said the thing about sex positive not being a thing, that all three of us made the same facial expression at the exact same time, where we furrowed our brows and twisted our head. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, I was reading something. I just didn't, I didn't, uh, I don't know. That's a whole separate thing. I'm not going to get bogged down. We're going to be quick episode today, I promise. Efficient. Yeah, but I think that should be a thing. I think that should be a thing where if there's a sexual premise to a story and it's like a secret, and then you acknowledge that secret openly to the audience, knowing that the other character or that the other person, I, I just, it's, I think it's, it's just a it's, form of irony. I they used to do it on, of, yeah, it's irony. They used to do it on Pee Wee's Playhouse, right? They have a secret word and they try and say it and everybody knows, right? Except for the person that is induced into saying the secret word. Cowboy Curtis. Yeah. I don't know. I, I'm calling it a pseudo fourth wall breakage. I don't know what your sex positive comment means, though. That you're saying really that you're the one who said it, Mike. You said you wanted the episode to be sex positive. Oh, I did, and it wasn't. Yeah. Is this yeah. a crazy? You know, it's never interesting heard? because yeah, I, I I think it's really interesting because I think of Buffy as a sex positive show, but this, but you're totally right that surprise and innocence aren't sex positive, and it's just like as a big fan of Buffy, it's surprising to go back. It's I'm surprised by that innocence. Um, Surprised by your own uh, innocence. I'm surprised by my own innocence. Yeah. I mean, I just don't think of Buffy as being like um, sex negative. Uh, I guess I don't know how you can say that about one, about a whole series with just one episode. Well, that episode, maybe overall, you know, it's more sex positive than negative, but that episode was Yeah, and I think maybe the show just evolves. Like right now, it's about high schoolers being punished for high school stuff. And as much as it tries to play with that trope, that's still like what it is, right? Versus like by the time they become adults, like there's no reason to not be like sex positive, right? This discussion isn't really relevant for this episode. We should get into this for for this episode. Cool. There's more sex talk in this episode for sure. 
Yeah, I guess I never heard that phrase sex positive. So I guess I didn't understand how you were using it. All right. Well, then Buffy Virgin, the podcast is uh, teaching media literacy, um, including how to read visuals. All right. So let's get started. So we're, uh, we, we watch season two, episode 21 phases. And so we start like we start all these with a summary. So John has a summary and I will play that now. On the eve of the full moon, the female denizens of the Hellmouth find themselves bemoaning the lackluster men in their lives. Cordelia is frustrated that Xander is more interested in Willow's relationships than in his own, while Willow is frustrated that Oz is too disinterested to deliver smoochies. Buffy wins the bad boyfriend contest. She's concerned that her boyfriend has been orgasmically transformed into a psychotic and blood-sucking monster. Before anyone has a chance to seek out couples counseling, Cordelia and Xander are attacked by a big, hairy, bona fide werewolf, interrupting their makeout session. The gang immediately transitions into research mode. This monster is going to be especially challenging. It could be anyone, and since it's a person most of the time, they'll have to approach this as a catch-spay-release operation instead of just killing it. In gym class, ex-pirate and current bully Larry Blaisdell is sporting a large bandage. It seems he was bitten by a dog. Oz can relate. He was bitten by his little cousin. In any case, Larry's injury doesn't seem to be interfering with his sexual harassment and groping activities. Luckily, Buffy is there to judo throw him across the room. After nightfall, Buffy and Giles search the Lover's Lane forest, trying to find the werewolf. Instead, they find Kane. He's a professional werewolf hunter, selling their pelts for profit, but he throws in the sexist comments for free. He can't believe that a girl is hunting werewolves. And he thinks it's ridiculous to try to capture the beast alive. In any case, there are no werewolves at Lover's Lane. But werewolves are attracted to sexual energy. So where else do Sunnydaleans gather to pool their sexuality? The Bronze. Buffy arrives just as the wolf is smashing the place up. She tries to chain it up, but the wolf gets away. Kane is predictably unimpressed, and by the next morning, there's another name to cross off the rolls at Sunnydale High. Buffy feels guilty about letting her classmate die, but not as guilty as Oz, who woke up that morning naked in a field. It turns out he contracted lycanthropy from his baby cousin. He chooses not to share the discovery with the gang, opting instead to process his wolf feelings alone. Reaching back to his experience as a member of a cannibal rapist hyena pack, Xander deduces that the werewolf must be Larry. He confronts him in the locker room. Larry is at first hostile, but then he relents. He has been hiding something about himself. He's gay. After hours of researching werewolf lore alone on her power book, Willow decides she's had enough of Oz's aloofness. She confronts him at his house and finds him in the middle of some sort of private bondage ritual involving chains. Before she can figure out what's going on, he transforms before her very eyes. Luckily, by the time she gets to the library to tell everyone, the tranquilizer gun that Giles ordered on Amazon Prime has finally been delivered. They catch up to where Oz just in time to knock him out and save him from the silver bullet death at the hands of Kane. The next day, things are looking up. Oz learns how to live with his wear condition and even manages to patch up his relationship with Willow, who finally gets the smoochies she always wanted. The end. The end. All right. So we have a new Good segment. Job. <laughs> Great job, John. That was fun. Uh, we have a new segment now, which is Buffy speak. So I guess we do impressions of Buffy characters 
and do the lines that entertained us the most? Uh, John? <laughs> uh, I enjoyed, you've really mastered the single entendre. I've used that one in, in speech <laughs> since then. And uh, I think I said, uh, I have two, there, there are a billion great lines from this episode, but two I chose. One was Larry, and he says to Xander, you know, Harris, that nosy little nose of yours is really going to get you in trouble someday. And um, another great line at the end of the episode that I feel like the whole episode is, is written around this single line from Willow. I, I think the whole episode is basically the writer thought up this, this joke, and then they wrote the episode to, to fulfill this joke, joke's destiny. And then Willow says to Oz, I mean, for three days out of the month, I'm not much fun to be around either. Um, which is just a bizarre, bizarre menstruation joke. Um, uh, I like the line from Cordelia where she says, it doesn't get much more romantic than this, so shut up when they're uh, over on the makeout point or whatever. <laughs> yeah, that was fun. Um, I didn't prepare for this, but I like the terrible pun, Mind Furrier. Um, <laughs> uh, I had also written down Nosy Little Nose because I like that line, but uh, Travis beat me to it. That is a really good line. <clears throat> All right. Well, we'll get started now with weird noticings and trivia here. Starting with Travis, uh, you're talking about the opening callback to episode three, The Witch, where Oz is no, looking at the trophy. Witch. For the record, I wrote down just witch. Oh, and witch, not, not the witch. My mistake. <laughs> <laughs> I got in trouble so much for this at the time. Anyways, it's a, it's a great callback. Actually, there's two callbacks in this episode, witch and the pack. And then... Uh, Dennis, was Larry bullying Oz? Is Oz a loser also? Yeah, just at the beginning when Oz is being harassed by Larry. Um, I don't know. It, is it's that not, bullying? It's certainly not the worst we've seen from Larry. It, I don't know if bullying is the right word, but it is. It, I think it's a great scene because it shows the way that like men police each other. Mm-hmm. And like he's he's... One of the ways that you make yourself feel manly is by holding somebody else to some insane standard of like, I don't know, you're sleeping with her, but she's the, not the right age or something, or you're not sleeping right. with her and that's not okay. And, you know, I, th- yeah, I thought that Oz, was a cool scene. Oz does a good job of uh, not responding in a masculine way um, or in a toxic <laughs> masculinity way. Uh, I don't yeah. know. It's just interesting. I think I've like never really seen Oz interact with social groups outside of the Buffy gang or the band, you know? So it's like, what is like Oz socially? Yeah, He's but Oz is a senior. Oz is a Oz, senior. Oz has had this, almost this exact same interaction before with the band guy. It's just Larry this time. Like where Larry's like, why isn't your penis oh, yeah. in more people? And Oz is like, uh, I don't care. Like, <laughs> remember the line, Oz, you're in a band. That's currency. <laughs> the most cringeworthy line I've ever heard. I, I like all the sexual accountability that other men force you to have. That's great. That, that feels real. And it's totally real. Uh, uh, and the next question here, Travis, you said Oz is false. 1998-99 was an insane year for movies. Uh, and then and, uh, you have uh, yeah. I Know What You Did Last Summer, Scream 2, Spice World, Half-Baked. What's well, SMG? Well, so Sarah Michelle Gellar was in I Know What You Did oh. Last Summer and Scream 2 in 1997. But when this episode was released in January of 1998, both Spice World and Half-Baked were in the movie theater. So Oz 
you're wrong. You should have remembered the movies. Plus, the that, late that 90s. might not be Oz's taste. Uh, yeah, I love that you're you're I mean, you're standing up for 1998 Hollywood by citing "I Know What You Did Last Summer" and "Spice World." I don't. I feel like that's a minority opinion, Travis. No, no, to I'm, be I'm, fair, we all had a fun time at Spice World. Yeah, yeah we saw. I'm the not theaters. saying we didn't. It's just, I don't remember. Let's not Clinton backtrack theaters. on Spice World here, guys. Spice World was crazy. It's legit a crazy movie. Half Baked was like the first movie I ever saw with Mike and Travis. Oh, I guess we did see it in theaters too. See, we were going to the theater all the time. I don't remember the popcorn. And sometimes I don't remember seeing a movie in the theaters. <laughs> but I'll stand up for seeing movies in theaters apparently. No, no, I'm, just, I'm, I'm just saying in 1997, it was like this golden, this golden year for independent, independent movies in the, in the late 90s. Um, Clerks, 1997. I, like to just, I, don't know, I don't know what type of... I don't know why the writers were just being... It was like a, it was a line for nothing. It was a popcorn line about nothing. That's all. I, th- I think no matter what time period you're in, you could always be the cynical person who says, like, yeah. uh, movies these days. Yeah. Right? What does Oz know? He's bitten by a child. <laughs> <laughs> uh, John, we love you, Seth Green. <laughs> what? I, I, what's a weird, what a weird shout out. Anyway, uh, John Smith, Seth Green is the name of the actor for Oz. That's oh, okay. no, I understand what you're saying. It's just weird. It's weird to tell Seth Green that you love him. Definitely oh, we, we, I, don't, I don't physically love him. I'm just saying we, we enjoy Oz. We love Oz. <laughs> Oz is an attractive man. I yeah, mean, I'm not attractive, attractive to him. I'm, I'm not attractive. Exactly. Xander hit it right on the nail right on the head. He is an attractive man. I mean, he's a senior and he's in the band, but. He's attractive. Uh, John says, when Willow says she wants smoochies, is this a euphemism for sex? Uh, I, I, I think, think it's so. really just smoochies. Yeah, I think she smoochies. like really wants to get that first base on. Yeah, I mean, sometimes in certain scenes, it seems like it's literal. And then there's other scenes where she's like, she just seems a little too conflicted. Like, if I kiss him first, will I seem like a slut? I just, I have a hard time buying that she's that concerned about just a kiss. Although... It's hard to remember what it was like as uh, being that young. It, I, you know, it may have been more of a big deal. I don't know. Buffy lost her virginity already, so like, I don't think you know. I don't think it matters. But that doesn't mean Willow is that far along sexually. She seems super immature sexually. So I would believe actual kissing. Uh, Dennis says first bunny reference. Mm-hmm. First of yeah, many, as, as we nod quietly. Yeah, you can't without say revealing anything to Buffy Virgin. Oh, <laughs> there will well, be bunnies, bunnies are tough. Bunny, bunnies are bunnies are can, they can handle themselves. Uh, <laughs> Mike, you're not allowed to put in the predictions that there will be bunnies. <laughs> uh, then John says uh, he's surprised that Giles isn't on top of the moon phases. I totally agree. I don't. I don't get how he's not all over that. Seems like astronomical stuff should be in his wheelhouse, but it sounds like it's not. So maybe we don't count on Giles in the future for astronomy. Uh, John says, uh, there's a deleted scene with more slut shaming of Cordelia. I did not click this link. Uh, John, you're muted. Thank you. Let me see if I can pull that up. So, yeah, I lost it. There it is. Okay. So there's a scene where it's in the, the gym. Uh, the in the gym like uh the self-defense scene and it's it's this scene that i feel like really changes the tone of the episode a little bit between uh cordelia and willow where basically like they're they're gonna be like part of the same group for the uh self-defense class and 
let's see, uh, where's the, the relevant line here? Uh, Cordelia says, hey, I can't help it if I get in the spotlight just because some people blend into the background, referring to Willow being mousy. And Willow says, uh, well, maybe some people could see better if you weren't standing on the auction block selling your wares, which is awful by itself. And then Cordelia says, <laughs> and Cordelia says, sorry, we haven't all perfected that phony girl next door bit. And Willow says, you could be the girl next door too if Xander lived next to a brothel. <laughs> this is like really directly calling Cordelia a whore to her face. Wow. Which, that's also weird because they're getting along this episode. Uh, right, yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. Surprisingly getting along. So. so that's what I'm saying. It really changes the tone of that scene where they're getting along again. <laughs> like that's because that would be really sudden. And also like that's way mean for Willow. Like, <laughs> Yeah, that sounds like mean girls level like BS. That's awesome. So I can see why they cut that because uh, it's really distracting from this episode's main main story. And we want to at all points make Willow as pure as possible. Never cruel. Yeah. Uh, Dennis, you're saying uh, Buffy has already beat up Larry in a previous episode. Seems a little late for Willow's secret identity warning. Yeah, I mean, she beats up people all the time, but she specifically has beat up Larry, so... Like, she she pushed me- him up against the soda machine. Did she really beat him up? Uh, she disarmed yeah. him. I mean, she twisted his yeah. arm, right? Like, she demasculated him. Uh, I don't know. It just seems so late. I mean, we're most of the way through season two. Uh, it seems like she's done a lot of shit in the school already. It seems a little late for the meek little girly girl act. I'm glad you brought up the word meek, Dennis, because I looked, I, I feel like she actually said, I don't know. I go, I can go both ways in this. I've heard it both ways, actually. Um, I guess if you say me, you know, using meek as docile or unassuming or unresisting, it makes sense, but it almost feels like she was supposed to say weak. Remember you're just a weak little girly girl instead of meek. Cause meek has a, has a really different tone of unresisting, but I guess maybe if she was going for that, that would make sense. I don't know if you thought the meek um, was the right adjective to use. Um, it did not distract me in any didn't, way. Didn't, like it didn't, did didn't you, trigger anything. So. Didn't trigger anything. Okay. All right. Just triggered something. That's okay with me. Uh, yeah. Uh, then moving on here, Travis, uh, there's three uses of the word daddy or daddies in this episode by Cordelia and you get nauseous at each one. Yeah. I get nauseous when anyone calls me daddy or I hear the word daddy. Okay. No one ever calls who, me daddy. Who calls you daddy? Who calls you daddy? <laughs> no, um, no one call me daddy. It never. No one ever says that in this house. Also, can, can I also t- I'm not sure I believe you now. Yeah, I don't believe you now. You backtracked like hell. You, you, no, you also, try to. It's not that weird. You just try to make the cat call you daddy, right? You're like, daddy's home. Do you, do you talk that way with the chicken? I I think if I say <laughs> I say it as a joke because I know how horrendous it sounds when you're like daddy's here. Like it sounds so. So gross. Why is Cordelia using it? It's just so weird. Also, the people listening to the Daddy. podcast, you can't see this, <laughs> but there's like a monster painted on the wall behind Michael's face on our video chat. Oh, that's it's, the poster uh, for Hausu, which is yeah. one of the best movies ever made. Well, every time he moves his head, I see that for you, fucking Travis. monster. Yeah, I haven't seen it. But every time he moves his head slightly, there's this monster that appears on his screen. You can get it on Criterion DVD. It's a fantastic amazing movie and you should watch it soon i think you'd like it actually is this a shout out to the fact that i like to buy dvds because that's pretty uh, sure oh <laughs> <laughs> and you should have said just yes Yo, of course so that's why i said that yeah so daddy is that's a gross word uh 
drinking a full glass of milk is a little bit gross. Uh, Does that happen in the set? No, or are we just, just going to do gross done. things? Oh, yeah. Uh, so moving on here, uh, John, you've noticed that Kane has the right number of teeth when he talks yeah. about how many. It's were- a, a really silly thing that I did, but like he says that uh, he needs to kill one more wolf for a full dozen. And I paused it and counted all the teeth on his necklace and there are 11. So they got that right. Can I just say what every time I watch this episode when he's like, I've bagged me 11 werewolves. It's always like Buffy has killed hundreds of demons at this point. Like that number does not impress her. And he is just embarrassing himself when he says shit like that. And it's it's sad that vampires just get dusted because Buffy needs to have like a little keepsake or something when she kills these. <laughs> pretty, pretty yeah, pretty. like right before she dusts them, she pulls out a, a fang. An, ur- an urn. She pulls out an urn, right? And then she's like, "Got to buy a bigger urn for all this dust." Well, you've seen those people with little glass vials of the sand from all the beaches they visited. I think Buffy could easily do that with like some test tubes or something. You know what she needs? She there needs is a necklace a that morning- she wears that has a skull on it. And then it has a container. And then she puts the dust in this little skull-like container and calls it something. That's there is a morning, morning jewelry, which is made from either like the hair of somebody <laughs> who died or like has their blood in it or something. You know, that's a thing that was big in like, I don't know, the 1800s. Uh, so uh, Buffy could do that if she was a creep and like really tortured these vamps before staking them. Yeah, she would have to. You're right. She would have to torture him in order to get anything. Uh, Can I, I please? I, I have one random observation. I'll be quick. Dennis, it's interesting. Your video is almost four by three on my screen, but everyone else is in widescreen. So I don't know what you're doing, Dennis, but keep it up because it's a very interesting. I'm just living that Buffy lifestyle. You are. It's almost, it's almost four by three. It's crazy. Let's try to mention as many things that we can only see in this podcast. Let's talk about the backgrounds, the poster, and Mike's. Uh, basement let's talk about dennis's webcam let's get as much visual stuff into our audio podcast as we can well they can't see it it. it's not that they can see this stuff i've got to describe it otherwise they'll never know john is drinking a beer from a can i can see a radiator uh it would be cool if we uh hooked up mini dv cameras and used them as webcams we would all be four three and it would be a startlingly low resolution video i have my mini dv camera right over there as a matter of fact I think actually I have two. Did you find it in a dumpster? Uh, no. My dog just road? threw up. I'm gonna go clean it up. You guys can keep going. All right, man. Sorry about Talk this. to you soon. Uh, so then, a uh, question here for you, John. Uh, did you have you read any good Giles and Buffy fan fiction? I say that because Kane points out that Giles and Buffy are a couple, and clearly that is a genre of fan fiction. There, there, there is a lot of uh, Giles slash Buffy. Uh, I haven't read a lot of it because I find it really gross. I may have read one or part of one. It it seems incestuous to me for Giles and Buffy to have a romantic relationship because he's such a father figure. I just, it just, it rings gross to me, but it's definitely a thing people have written a, a good quantity of. Well, it is, it is gross. <laughs> the, yeah, that's crazy. Okay, so you're you're so turned off by it, you don't have any suggestions. Okay, but you know, uh, no, I can't recommend a title or anything. What I will say is that um, there was like a sort of a, a cataclysm in the like uh, fan fiction world where like everything moved off of Live Journal and onto Archive of Our Own after Archive of Our, after Live Journal like shut down a lot of like edgier, weird like incest fic and stuff, and so all the uh, People decided they needed their own hosting. So stuff from the Buffy era, stuff that was written 
you know, that at that time is a little bit harder to find than, than newer, than newer things. So you kind of have to dig, you have to get your Wayback machine out and look at old GeoCities pages and, you know, sort through live journal and stuff to find the good stuff. That sounds like it'd be really cool to see in a Buffy zine. John would be strong recommendations of uh, Buffy fan stuff. I can get on that. Uh, so, John, you said uh, I love a good pun, but what? Pun uh, Dennis already you... called this out. Mine furrier, I oh, thought yeah. was was terrible. <laughs> uh, then, John, you're saying bronze generic '90s band of the week is Lotion. No hits. Yeah. So, Lotion. Uh, is a band that exists. They are not remarkable, had no hits, but for some insane reason, uh, Thomas Pinchon, uh, who wrote uh, Gravity's Rainbow and other novels that uh, are hard to read, um, he wrote the liner notes for their uh, for one of their albums, which is seems like a really big get for them. I don't know if they knew him personally for some reason, but that's Lotion. Yeah, that's, um, that's bizarre. Uh, I didn't put this in the notes, but I thought about it while you were doing your... Um uh while we were doing the uh catch up or whatever the summary is they say the werewolves attracted to sexual heat and then the first person attacks in the bronze are willow and cordelia together oh what's going on talking about some shipping right here like <laughs> they had a whole uh bronze full of sexual energy went right for these two girls talking that's all i got to say oh definitely werewolf attacks are based on sexual energy in this episode for sure yeah, but Willow Cordelia, that's, uh, that, that definitely uh, raises an eyebrow, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. So uh, my question here, what are insurance costs like at the Bronze? I mean, I feel like that, that place gets destroyed constantly. Now, I'm sure the people that have like owned the Bronze are like scrappy people that are like, hey, we shouldn't make a claim. If we make any claims, it's going to be an issue. We'll just do our best to rebuild. But like that place has been blown apart so many times and then to see it happen you know anyway it's just like again i bet like if anything else in sunnydale is an indication that the owners of the bronze like they're magicians they're wizards and they have some like enchanted furniture that reassembles itself and all the windows unbreak and the uh you know the bouncers have uh laser eyes or something uh yeah and yet, all- and yet these wizards and uh, laser-eyed bouncers never help buffy in these fracases well, they're oh, completely yeah, they're, neutral. They're completely true neutral. neutral, definitely. Mm. The the bronze, the bronze owners. Like so, if we interfere, then vampires will stop coming here and paying for our blooming onions. That comment reminds me of Lost Girl. Have you seen that one? But in Lost Girl, there's a bar that's an that's actually neutral. I, that's probably a really popular fantasy concept of like a neutral spot that's like the hang zone where yeah. different parties can get a drink. And a drink is way better than like in the Highlander. It's like uh, hollow ground, right? Like churches, bars are way better. But uh, bronze clearly not neutral. Uh, people fight there constantly, uh, constantly getting destroyed and rebuilt. Uh, so Oz seems surprised to when he wakes up as a werewolf. Are we to assume this is his first transformation? That's just my question. Oh, you're right, because that's the second night of werewolf attacks. What happened the first night? I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I think it has to be his second time, right? Because of that. Um, but maybe he just he woke somehow woke up in his own bed the first night. I don't know. Yeah, it is an odd. Uh, if he didn't notice anything, are we to assume that he just always sleeps naked and he found that normal? Can we assume that about his character? Uh, whenever I picture Oz sleeping, yeah, he's naked. And then, man, that's an attractive man. Dude, just that odd phone call where it's like, 
hey, is something so-and-so a werewolf? Interesting. Flat Oz. Uh, Dennis says, I wish werewolf Oz had a patch of dyed fur. (laughs) His hair is dyed black this episode. Um, That could be something they do every time they show werewolf Oz, is like the patch is the color of his dyed hair that that week. That That would have been awesome. Yeah, that sounds like what they would do, like like for Gremlins, like Spike and Gremlins, you know, like yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, I mean, I know why they didn't do it because like this episode is like a mystery of who's the werewolf, and like if it had Oz hair for this one chunk. But uh, going uh, forward, they should do it. Uh, I said, uh, like Xander, I also think it's Larry. I totally agree with uh, Xander's assessment of Larry being, cause he's such an incarnate of like wolf, like sexual energy. Um, Travis said the actor who plays Kane is reused in season three of angel. Yeah. He's a good actor. I would like to say that, uh, I almost put that in the notes for this episode, but I didn't because I was 3000% sure that Travis would bring it up. <laughs> Thank you, John. Uh, John, you're saying uncomfortable callback to Xander's attempted sexual assault of Buffy. Where was that? So when uh, Xander talks about having been a hyena man and then Buffy's like, I thought you said that you didn't remember that. This is the horrible moment where he sexually assaults Buffy and, uh, and then Giles agrees to cover for him. But the way it's played off when this comes out that he does remember it is just like, oh, awkward. But yeah. it's, uh, it really should be a lot deeper. Wasn't this a Maybe prediction, it's... John? Wasn't this a prediction that this was never going to get brought up again? That the hyena... I don't believe so. I can go back and check. I just looked through the predictions, but I don't believe that was uh, a prediction. I, I can go back and check. Mm. I, I guess it was. Yeah, a no, it is sexual. totally weird that they uh, <laughs> like. I guess enough time has passed that whatever she's got bigger issues now. But uh, that was a major thing. It's kind of a major thing. Yeah, it's totally disappointing that they don't cover it fully like they they pass it off so quickly um that was all it's always been disappointment yeah well and it's all i think there's also just a shit ton of emotions going on this episode like buffy's got that one minute scene where she lets like the angel stuff get to her and it's almost like an emotional like break from everything else to but to get really heavy about something for a second you know <laughs> it's just like there's a lot of fucking like feelings going on this episode uh, and then, John, you have another comment here about Willow's laptop, and you've identified both the model and the price of this laptop. I just, I, this is a thing that would have mattered to me at the time that this aired. Um, so, Willow's laptop, I, it's hard to tell because there's two, like, subsequent power books that came out that were, like, had the same case. So, I don't know which one she had, but it's either the 3400C or the PowerBook G3, which is the very first laptop with a G3 processor. Um, but... Depending on the configuration that she was, that laptop cost at least $3,700, which uh, if you adjust for inflation is $5,600. So it's, we, we complain now about like teenagers having expensive smartphones, but can you imagine like a 16 year old having an almost $6,000 computer right now? That's just, that is one rich kid. Yeah. sounds like an LA writer computer. Yeah, where did um? I mean, I guess we don't know a lot about Buff, uh, Willow's financial financial home life. Christ, I think her parent, one of her parents, is a doctor. I mean, she's got to have a computer at least, right? Because she's so into computers, she's got to have one at home, right? 
I mean, she does, obviously. <laughs> she has this laptop. It's got to be fast enough and strong enough to hack into the police reports. Uh, I approve of this expense, even if it's just like out of the, you know, the watcher budget. That would be nice if Giles was like financing stuff. Oh, there must be a watcher budget. I never really thought about that, but there must be. Do you think he like turns in receipts? Where did the trank gun come from? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm glad glad you brought up uh, in the summary about like Amazon Prime. You know, because it's twice this episode where I'm like, how did they get things so fast? Like, there's no way they got one day shipping on, you know, those manacles of the, the train. Totally, gun. totally. Uh, Dennis, you noticed Willow and Cordelia hanging out is straight up weird and should be noticed. Yep. Yeah. And I guess I brought it up again uh, before. So sorry about that. But uh, uh, and then, John, you're saying, where did Oz get the manacles, the Frankenstein manacles? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I I kind of thought about this, and I like the idea that, like, there's just a lot of werewolves in his family. I think it's implied that um, werewolfism is not, like, necessarily genetic, but, you know, if you have a lot of werewolves in your family, you're going to get bit. So, like, I feel like there's at least a few werewolves in his extended family, and so he just called up and he's like, yo, what do I do? And they're like, manacles. I've got some. I'll loan you my old ones. <laughs> you think so? Yeah. I'd love to see uh, like a comic about the adventures of like one and a half year old Jordy the werewolf. Totally. Uh, yeah. I already noted that later. That's yeah. What is the story of Jordy? I really want to know what happens with Jordy or what happens with his parents are like, are they werewolves too? And if not, are they just like cool with it? Uh, it's an I mean, story. they're probably not werewolves yet, but like <laughs> eventually. Yeah. That sounds like an early Peter Jackson short film of a one and a half year old werewolf. Sounds like yeah. so trashy. Uh, Travis, uh, you're saying there, so there's internal consist- inconsistency with vampires rising from the dead. This relates to Teresa. Ask me about it. To ask yeah, I don't, I, don't, I don't know. We're running along. I don't know if you want me to, to please. I don't know what this is. So this comes from, from what I remember the episode, Teresa rises from the dead in the open casket at the, at the funeral home. Right. So later on in the show, the mythology is that you have to have dirt involved, that the person actually has to be buried. They don't have to be underground, but they have to have dirt on top of them to rise from the dead. So I think maybe that's retconned, as you would like to say. So um, I, know well, you always get on, I know you always get on me because when I uh, ignore internal inconsistencies. This, in was, fact- uh, this was all very much planned by Angel to be, or by Angelus to be like a uh, surprise for Buffy. Like, surprise, your classmate's trying to eat you. Yeah. I wouldn't put it past him to like quickly bury and unbury her uh, right after he <laughs> killed her just to uh, have the satisfaction. But the, uh, no, but no, the you... werewolf got a hold of the body before. Yeah. I still think and... you could have found some time to like, I don't know, sprinkle some dirt on her head. I don't know. Whatever you have to I do. Didn't, I didn't know about that dirt thing. Um, yeah. It relates to an episode uh, of Angel. I, that, where it plays I know the Angel episode role. you're talking about. Yeah. But uh, I can think of like a couple specific Buffy episodes where it's not vampires true. just pop up from the morgue. Um, uh, I guess they're in, they're in a, they're, are they in one of the, um, oh yeah, totally caskets. Pork and beans. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. What about pork and beans? Um, And there's definitely a season five episode I can picture right off the top of my head where a vampire pops up from the mark. I guess it's not consistent then. So shows you what I know. It's almost like it's all made up for story convenience. Right. There's no strict rules. This is pre Abrams lost guys. You know, you can't. You can't rely on television to have strict rules before Abrams. Uh, so, John, you're saying half-transformed Oz, way cooler 
and transformed Oz. Yeah, I wanted to hear Dennis's opinion about this because I feel like uh, Werewolf Oz looks like a college mascot. Like it's just a big fursuit. <laughs> but like, there's the like when he's tra- when you see him transform. There's so many like in between stage looks really cool when he's got the pointy ears. But especially there's a shot of his hand and his fingers have gone like long and bendy. Mm-hmm. That's some of the best monster makeup I feel like that I've seen in Buffy in a little while. Yeah, yeah. I think what was going on is that they wanted because it's a mystery who the werewolf is, they need the transfer the fully transformed face to be like full wolf to be totally unrecognizable. That makes sense. And it looks like they spent a lot of money on it. That face blinks and stuff, but it's not their best thing by far. So I, I agree with you. I think the partially transformed though like mm-hmm. I was a teenage Oz um like half transform looks better. And uh and the stretchy arms thing is like you know, a total American werewolf in London reference, right? Right, right. I would. I thought, yeah, the werewolf ma- that mascot call is totally right on for what this full werewolf transformation looks like. Shoot that stuff in the dark, people. People. Yeah, um, and I don't think it's spoiling anything to say that when we see werewolf Oz again, he doesn't look like that. Like, in fairness, uh, shooting it in the dark is exactly what Kane was trying to do this whole episode, Mike. <laughs> uh. John says, I don't think coming out of the closet is a personality transplant. It's just really weird to me how Larry is like, you know, oh my God, I can admit I'm gay. And then immediately is a wholly different person. <laughs> like, Yeah. I'm glad I, I, I saw you wrote that and I was like, okay, I don't have to write that. Because that, that's what that felt like of like being gay doesn't give you a personality 180, you know? Um. Does he become more sensitive? Is gay Larry sensitive and, and uh, understanding? Yeah, like he helps the girl who drops her books. Like the girl who drops her books and bends over and somebody else is being gross to her and he's immediately nice to her. It's like the exact opposite human. Yeah. I mean, I think- I, I, the point they're trying to make that like uh, macho dudes are covering for some kind of insecurity is a valid point and is a good comment on masculinity, which we'll get into later. But I do feel like it's kind of shitty that they're just like, well, he's gay. That means he has he can't be an asshole anymore. He's the opposite of macho now because he's gay. Like I just think that's kind of dumb. Yeah. I, yeah. I think you're right that, that what they're trying to say is like all of the aggressive behavior he's, he was doing before was a mask and now the mask is lifted. Uh, but yeah, I, yeah. I yeah that's, that's a great, that's a great comment. Like the transformation is really a uh, complete BS. I, 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 yeah. Masculinity conversation. I mean, Larry gets no story time. He's not really a, a character. He's a, you know, he's, he's scenery in some ways, but um, so I, I can forgive it, but it's really kind of silly. Uh, and then Dennis says, I also think being gay doesn't clear you as a werewolf suspect. Yeah. He's still got bit by a dog. Like you still have to investigate that shit. <laughs> yeah. There's no, there, who can say there aren't two werewolves. There could totally be two werewolves. Uh, yeah, totally agree. Uh, when Xander is like, before someone else gets hurt, what does Larry think he's referencing? Dennis. Can yeah. You? In, um, in the Larry coming out conversation, Xander's like, just admit it, man, before somebody else gets hurt. And you know, Larry's like, I'm gay. But it's like, what is the somebody else getting hurt that Larry thinks Xander is referencing? Like what happened in this? Like, <laughs> I mean, maybe it's Xander getting beat up a lot. I don't know. Questions. Cues. A's. Yeah, dude, that's a really good point. I didn't think about that at all. <laughs> that's crazy. 
That's because he's pushed. He feels like he's forced to confess, right? Or forced to reveal yeah. himself. By I think also he's I think he's just crushing on Xander and it's an opportunity is how it read. But like, I don't know what. Yeah, I don't. Know. I assumed you know, that Larry assumed he meant emotional hurt. Ah, okay, yeah. That Larry is being emotional is emotionally hurting himself. Yeah, and others okay. like. Right. Yeah. Uh, John, you're asking what happens to Jordy. Yeah, we covered that, but it's a it's it's a great big invitation to imagine what's up with Jordy. Yeah, and I also imagined little Jordy is like a one and a half year old Oz who's just like. Yeah, he never really says what what age he is because like, but he's an age of biting. So like, I totally imagine yeah, it's like a two year old. Yeah, somebody uh, who just got his first teeth, right? I don't know. Oh, that's right. That's is. right. He does say that. He just what got. His, that's just right. Said. He says he just got his baby teeth. Yeah, so it's like one and a half, I guess, right? I don't know. Does anybody have babies? None of us have babies. Here we are, three grown men in our 30s, no babies. There's four of us, Dennis. Four of us. I wasn't counting myself. I was <laughs> looking at everybody else. <laughs> uh, Dennis says, does Oz's place remind anyone else of Polly's mom's house? Uh, no. no. I don't no. know. There's something about it that reminded me of... There was no adult. <laughs> In a good way. It could have been my house. It could have been John's house. Uh, yeah, I have to comment about that later. Uh, could have been any of our houses. Uh, and then I noticed that smoking's more of a deal breaker than being a werewolf, and I thought that was really funny. And I feel like that's probably true of most, most way, like people make decisions in relationships. It's like, oh, you're a monster? Eh, but you don't smoke. Eh. <laughs> You were a smoker for a minute, Mike. Was that uh, difficult? That make relationships more difficult for you? Nope. But that was in the '90s and aughts, so I don't know. It's also well, was this? Yeah, yeah. it's contemporaneous. But you weren't trying to date no Willow, so I wasn't trying to date yeah any uh, any non-smokers. Uh, then uh, Dennis saying Willow's pulling up some pro wrestling moves to fight where Oz. Yeah, the the trash can to the head. That was pretty good. Oh, yeah. Okay, now we're going to move into group questions. Um, So I've got a dumb question to start here. But does the full moon really bring out the crazies? Like, because the gym teacher is warning people that, like, hey, full moon, crazies. And I know it's just there to, like, set the tone that, you know, about related to the werewolf and stuff. But, like... Does the full moon bring out the crazies? I have, well, a, I have a story about that. It's not my story, but um, uh, cartoonist Kim Deitch, uh, really great like alternative cartoonist, he came to talk at my school one time. And in his younger years, he used to work uh, in what he called a loony bin. Um, I mean, he's an old guy, so I guess that term is okay for him to use. Uh, but he was like, oh, the full moon, it really brings out the crazies. And he told the story about, like, chasing one of the crazies down and knocking him out. And then the, like, guy who runs the loony bin was like, good job, Deitch. <laughs> like, uh, so, I mean, you know, and I've had, I I don't know if I've ever noticed the correlation, but I don't super look at, at the moon a lot when I'm, like, dealing with my brother. But... To comment on this just generally, though, like, we're not in a pagan culture, so moon cycles are not important. But that's totally due with how boring Christianity is. Like, we're very much a Christian culture. And, like, Christian cultures, you know, there's no... Astronomy's not a feature. But, like, literally every other 
like all the other pre-Christian religions before Christ, you know, happened, whatever, like care about astronomy and astronomy is meaningful, but uh, not in Christianity. So moon stuff, eh, you can tell that Giles is like really based in a Christian culture. Of course, so are vampires because they fear crosses. So, yeah. Uh, Maybe we as a society don't deal with the moon as much like because there's just light at night all the time. So maybe we have more crazies now because they, it's like the full moon all the time. People, people still um, in the hospital, they, they still use this. They still say, Oh, it's a full moon. It's going to be, you know, really tough hospital shift. It's going to be a really busy hospital shift. So even though we don't have the culture, we're still like, that's still modern day. That's still being perpetuated that phrasing. And no, no one like takes it seriously that it, it is true, but people continue continue to perpetuate that stereotype. On the uh, Moon episode of Bill Nye the Science Guy, he suggests that it, possibly that just because you can see what you're doing at night, you tend to get up to more sneaky stuff at night, and that might be that what's going on. Uh, one more dumb observation. This is from Greek and Roman history. So apparently uh, Romans punish people more for committing crimes at night than during the day. So if you burglarize someone's house at night, much bigger crime than burglarizing during the day. I'm the Greek and Roman guy, guys. It happened. That is interesting. I want to know why. but uh... yeah, It's scary, huh? Come on. Give me a chance. <laughs> uh, Dennis, you're saying... Giles seems to indicate werewolves are as much a psychological condition as supernatural, but he never calls them demonic, which makes them different from most other Buffyverse creatures. Why do you think there's that distinction? I want to get into this a little later and we get into the themes. I think. That, okay. Uh, yeah. I think yeah. there's themes questions. Okay. Um, then we'll talk about the nature of werewolves in a little bit. Yeah. I think, I mean, I think from a plot point of view, it could be though just, as simple as like one of our new main characters is going to be a werewolf and we don't want him to be a demon, you know? Um, Agreed. Right. He can't be a demon because then they got to kill him. So yeah, yeah, to be redeemable, he has to be different. It's just interesting because even vampires are demons in this world. You know, like demon is just a shorthand for like supernatural stuff, except for werewolves. Right. Why? Well, I, I think that, I mean, werewolves I think are probably from a pre-Christian culture because they care about moon cycles. They're part of a pagan tradition versus vampires or Christian tradition, which I guess I just said, but uh, yeah, hold on a second. I'm going to bring out the Buffy monster book for a second. I think they have something about that. Awesome. Uh, Travis, you're asking uh, who likes moon pie. I do. I almost never like uh, cookies and sweets, but um, I, I, for a, a movie show when we, uh, that Dennis and I worked on, we played uh, the movie uh, Catwomen of the Moon, and uh, we gave everybody Catwomen of the Moon pies as the prize. Uh, and because of that, I uh, got a taste for moon pies. Uh, we have is a it stack- especially strong when the moon is in <laughs> is in ascension? <laughs> no. Uh, we have a uh, box of moon pies right next to the fridge at the moment that Elizabeth bought. So moon pies. I, They're good frozen. Oh, interesting. Great tip. Pro tip. Mike, and you said that your life and Buffyverse would never intersect. Here is, a, here is an example of where <laughs> it's happening. And you didn't even know it. Didn't even know it. And it's happening. Because of the moon? Because we, they both exist in a world that has the moon? No, the Damn moon it. pie. The, the same moon. universe. The moon, the moon pie stuff. Oh, because they both have lived in a world with moon pies. Well, yes. 
But okay, come on. When was the last time you had a moon pie? It has been a while. <laughs> I better watch more closely whenever but anybody in the Buffy show eats or drinks anything because that's going to force a connection to that universe. Like if anybody drinks a polar seltzer, better watch out. It's too new of a brand. Good. I'm only, I am only consuming brands post-97. Nothing that's been around before then. No more Coke for me. You need post-2004 to really be safe, but... Okay, thank sure. you. That's a good tip. Uh, Travis, oh, this is that meat question. I think we discussed that. Uh, John says, was there a lover's lane when you were teens? Yeah, do you guys remember uh, in Dayton uh, there being a makeout spot that more than one person would go to? Uh, so... Hmm. I kind of want to respond to this like I with a little bit oddly where I think that so many kids in our school had divorced parents and when your parents are divorced, it's your house is the spot. There's no reason to go anywhere uh, because no one's at home. And that's relating to what I was, didn't mean to make sound ominous, but when Dennis was talking about my mom's place, it was like, Oh yeah, just go to your parents' house <laughs> because they're not there. Uh, but Travis, did you have a specific place you think is the makeout spot? I think there were a couple, there were a couple um, like parks, deserted parks on the west side of uh, where we used to live, the West West Egg. Yeah, um, that's that's uh, where I used to go to make out, but I never once saw another couple making out while I was also there making out. That would be weird. I did that weird thing in high school where you're with another oh, couple oh. and you make out at Schaefer Park. You there did? Was, yeah, whatever. Um, there was a there was a Lovers Lane Overlook in Spokane, Washington that is amazing and people would go there all the time mostly to hang out and do drugs but i imagine at night even more shenanigans yeah doing smoochies. drugs and making out are not mutually exclusive that's for sure yeah so yeah oh but i wish you guys could see this is like this would put that lover's lane that was in the episode to shame because it was this bluff that overlooked the whole town i live right by there so um i i wasn't going up to the to this oh this bluff to do drugs I was. I don't know, by. Travis. You seem to know an awful lot about what transpires there. Oh yeah, because I'd, I'd walk by. Um, it was also in between two, two, my work and my home. So, anyway, so that that's that's an insane um, lover's lane. So I was. I'm jealous that we didn't have that because that was ridiculous. Well, we got not. We don't have elevation really to like have a yeah. have a spot where you go and overlook anything. Oh yeah, yeah but the um, the highest point in Dayton is the is the cemetery, and I. Uh, I totally I tried to, tried to um, bring a lady there to, to make out once, but uh, uh, a person, a mutual acquaintance of ours, uh, decided to invite himself along, and that ruined my plans. Oh, cool. I, I think I know what you're talking about. It's okay. It wasn't me. We, no, it wasn't. No, somebody who is not on the me. podcast, but we all, someone we all know, <clears throat> and I will not mention him by name. No. Uh, I would say the bike path, probably a spot, too. I feel like just shady stuff on the bike path. That would be a gross place to make out, but that probably didn't stop anybody. No, I have a comic coming out soon that begins in a bike in the bike path. Ooh, I, I uh, did Google searches of like Oakwood, Ohio bike <gasps> path. Uh, wow! <laughs> Trying to get um, it as accurate as possible. Oh man, That's great location choice! Can't wait. Post-apocalyptic, strange, muggy bush. Should we explain the bike path for the listeners? Does anyone care or should we just move on? I asked people when I was thumbnailing it to, and I was like, is it weird that I say the bike path here and stuff? And nobody was bothered by it. They were like, yeah, no, I figured it's just where 
they get that high schoolers hang out it's just weird that it's not a bike path it's it's a it's an access road for the sewer for this for the like sewer drain or the drainage system but it's also a bike path it's also a bike path it's not literally yeah it's not it just does now but it didn't then no no at the time it was literally no at the time it was just an access road i remember this pretty specifically (laughs) well we always called it a bike path though but i never saw it a biker on it. Yeah, exactly. Colloquially, we called it the bike path, but it was it was really just like an access road for the um like the the waste management. Anyway, yeah, moving on. Um, so I was trying to find a good quote from Steve Bissett's section of the primals and folklore and popular culture, but like his essay he wrote for this is like twelve pages long, so it's hard to find like a sweet. He's really a uh, like prolific writer so it's hard to find like a sweet paragraph to quote from okay so, uh well, well i guess we'll move on uh travis says we never get a satisfactory answer of how the werewolf curse actually works right i can't remember i i i, I guess it's spoilers but i feel like among me i don't have a real great answer of how is this a demon is it not a demon this to that so i or, can't remember how much more we find out is it transmitted by biting or I think it's it could also biting, be gen- yeah. it could be genetic though it could be like in Teen Wolf. But um, the weird it's, thing is it's biting but not by making out like what's yeah. the what's yeah, the, the threshold here? The Scratching is probably The mechanism is super yeah. And I I have a recommendation regarding this for a, a different episode in Angel that involves a werewolf. So it definitely is biting. But it just it's just everything here's a lot a, of things are fleshed here, out but not this. Here's a funny just the first paragraph from Bissett's um, essay, werewolves, lycanthropes, and theramorphs, the politically correct term for, of the 1990s for animal people shorn of its horrific baggage. So that's what the politically ter- correct term for uh, tran- animal transformers is theriomorphs, are essentially shapeshifters. Contrary to current popular uh, pop culture beliefs codified by screenwriter Kurt Seedermark's invented lore for the 1941 universal classic, The Wolfman, shapeshifters of ancient myth, folklore, and quote-unquote real life have always been capable of changing at will. They also transform completely into their animal form rather than the half-animal, half-human menagerie of popular horror literature. Pulp fiction, horror comics, television, cartoons, and movies, which tend to uh, literally literize the Anglo-Saxon roots of the term werewolf, which indeed means man-wolf. Um, I just like that thing about stereo Morse. I like the idea that it's politically correct. That this is. Uh, that we don't want to offend the shapeshifting community, the primal the community. Pack, the pack. The pack. Uh, I don't know who asked this next question. But, <laughs> and, uh, and Teacher's Pet, right? Teacher's Pet was also a shapeshifter. Oh yeah. And Jam, I'm good. But. <laughs> uh, Someone asks, uh, do we think Giles is qualified to dose a tranquilizer gun? This seems like he could have overdosed and killed Oz. That would have an amazing ending. Willow doing CPR and werewolf Oz with Giles crying. That was me. That was me. <laughs> Come on. You look, like that, would, question. that would have been an insane ending to this episode, right? Because he's all bragging. Like, oh, it's going to take down a small elephant. Small elephant is a really large animal. I know it has the word small in front of it. But the word elephant signifies a very large creature. <laughs> yeah, I thought about this too because uh, when that uh, when that's that like, gorilla like was tranquilizing shot, a, oh, it's like tranquilizing a dog with enough enough tranquilizer to mm. get a rhino. It's like yeah. no, a dog is much smaller than a Harambe. Rhinoceros. 
Yeah, yeah. When the grill was shot, they were like, uh, everyone was like, Harambe. why didn't they use a tranquilizer gun? And people were like, tranquilizer guns don't just work like that. You have to so, <laughs> be magic. So you have to measure them very carefully. And then even then, it, you may accidentally kill the animal. Like, Yeah. That's like shooting a teddy bear with a tranquilizer gun and saying, oh, it's got, it's got enough tranquilizer to take down a small polar bear. It's like, no, this is a teddy bear. I, I would say Giles has, I don't know if it helps with the measuring, considering that's not his full-time job or anything, but he did see the werewolf, right? He saw it at the bronze. So he would have some idea of the measurement for, right? Sure, the weight it just of this didn't werewolf. seem like the werewolf. He's not a veterinarian. He has no He's idea. He <laughs> just got it from the company that ships it. And it's yeah, like, there's, it's for elephants. There's no indication that uh, he has any notion that he could possibly put too much in. Yes, he also didn't understand here's, about Okay, here's what cycles. happened. Come on. That zoo with the hyena, they never found a new hyena caretaker, and that shit is just wide open. And he walked right in, and like that trank gun was already measured out and stuff, and he was like, oh, if it will take down a hyena. And that was it. He did no other work other than that. So I had, the, I had this fun uh, idea. They just still have the caution tape, like, at the <laughs> hyena cage. So I had this fun idea that, like, the ending could have been Giles accidentally <laughs> overdosing Oz, and then... Willow does CPR to bring him back. And then like, then like the next, the next episode, you know, he has to find a real veterinarian to team up with for these, for these cases. Like, he's like, I'll never, I'll never try to shoot a tranquilizer gun again, Oz, I promise. And it's like the next episode, he's trying to find some vet to, to be part of the Buffy team. I don't know. That was a stupid idea on my part, but I just think it's just, it just, it's a, it's a super crazy over the top ending. There's so many fan fiction opportunities in this yeah, episode. Yeah, in this, in this episode alone, Jordy, Oz dying, veterinarian, like a... Like a <gasps> Willow slash Cordelia. A Jennifer Cal- yeah. Jenny, a Jenny Calendar, a Jenny Calendar-esque um, veterinarian. So that would have been cool. That would have been yeah. really cool, actually. Oh, yeah. That, that would have that, been really quick for Giles to just find, like... <laughs> Or just like a demon vet. doctor. Like there would have to be like some kind of like medical expert who's got a lot of like, you know, like a veterinarian clients like, ready yeah. to work on a lot of different kinds of anatomy. Yeah. And spells and stuff. And your doctor thinks it's gout, but it's really a cursed toe. <laughs> it's like, how'd that happen? <laughs> well, I ate a magic frog and it was, uh, I was like, say no more. I've got the, I've got the cure for a cursed toe. So moving on here to themes and deep stuff. John asks, this or says this episode. Oh, wait, 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 hold on. We got to get Dennis's question. Oh, Dennis is asking one? a really important question at the end here. Oh, I'm sorry. I missed it. What is yeah. it? Dennis is asking, um, did anyone remember to tell Oz that he didn't kill Teresa? <laughs> which I think is a giant hole, which I didn't notice until Dennis pointed it out. Poor Oz still thinks he killed someone. Yeah, I really I, hope after episode, somebody says that to him. <laughs> He didn't seem bothered. Didn't seem bothered by that information. He seemed well. He didn't gone. seem any more bothered. Like he really he's already dealing like, with soon as he realizes that, Yeah, yeah. I mean, he. I think he. I think he's very bothered by it. It's just he's not. He doesn't emote a ton, like an egg. Hard-boiled egg. <laughs> Hard-boiled eggs, glasses of milk, daddy. So gross. Wait, hard-boiled eggs aren't gross. Uh, if someone feeds them to you, it's gross. <laughs> Why did that happen? Just is. Uh, I went to a sketch comedy festival this weekend, and someone did a scene where they were feeding each other hard-boiled eggs, and it was just... Uh. 
Totally. Were, of, they uh, were they shallow? One of the most like absurd moments of my life was uh, after a movie watching experience one time with uh, my friend Mia. She just pulled an egg out of her pocket and was like, oh, I have an egg in my pocket. And I was like, what? How did you not know? Yeah, how do you get an egg in your pocket? That's like, you're like eating... Oh, I think like, if you oh. just like eat a lot of hard-boiled eggs, sometimes you like lose them and find them. You know? Yeah, I've gone through periods of eating enough hard-boiled eggs where that could totally happen to me. Mm-hmm. I don't put food in my pocket. But it's you like can do it with hard-boiled eggs, as long as you, you would, don't forget about it. You would put like a granola bar in your pocket. Yeah. And an egg has a natural wrapper. It's like it's ready to eat. It's portable. Yeah. I follow you. It just seems, it seems gross. It seems gross and strange. I guess like putting a banana well, on your pocket. Is it peeled? The question is, is it peeled? Well, obviously not, right? You're breaking well, you the shell. you don't know. I'm certain that Dennis's friend did not have a peeled hard-boiled egg in her pocket. If she did, right. and I that think, would be the headline of the story. <laughs> I think it was both still in its shell and in a plastic bag. Yeah, um, that's, that's, that's fair. It is funny, but it's also, I could totally be that person. You can have food in your pocket. You're a bit as, of an eccentric. As a John. shell or a covering. Not just I'm not eccentric. <laughs> the world is strange. Uh, yeah, so John, uh, can we move on to themes now? Is that everything? Yeah, I think that's everything. Cool. Uh, so you kind of have the first thing here. Do you want to introduce this concept? I mean, I feel like this is the whole episode, right? Is that this this movie, or this, this movie, this episode is entirely about, um, you know, male sexuality and violence and uh, kind of what it's like to be a woman who's interested in dating men. So uh, I got to give credit. There is uh, from the, um, there's a film journal called Jump Cut and their, their stuff is online. And in 2006, they published this pretty amazing essay about um, Buffy as like this um, fantasy about like what if feminism could be violent. And it's, it's a really it's more nuanced than I'm making that sound, but it's a really, really good essay. It's from 2006. It's by Shannon Crago Snell. If you Google any of those things, I'm sure you'll find it. It's not hard to find. It's not behind a paywall or anything. Um, and she makes this really cool point uh, where it's like, basically, if you're a woman who's interested in dating men, you have to reckon with the specter of violence. And uh, I'm reminded of like, there's like a, a Louis CK bit where he's talking about how like uh, men are like a half wolf, half tiger. Right. And it's like, by choosing, why would you ever like choose to put yourself in the position of dating one? Because sure, they might be nice, but they're like the uh, the chances of them being violent and horrible are really not insignificant. And that's kind of what uh, the Willow is kind of dealing with in this episode, in some ways, right? And the uh, the episode totally like gives us the impression, or gives you know, plays to the idea that the werewolf thing is. Uh, it's a concentrated form of male sexuality, right? Or at least a concentrated form of sexuality anyway. Um, Cause uh, you know, Giles says the werewolf is such a potent extreme representation of our inborn animalistic tra- traits that acts on pure instincts. And then Buffy's like, in other words, you're typical male. Yeah. But, um, but to like the, it, the show inverts this, right? They set that up and then they make the opposite choice. They give you the meekest character, the male equivalent of Willow. Who's just right. Like, yeah. But it's also kind of making the point that even the most like chill man still has these urges, right? Exactly. Still a potential like yeah. He might not outwardly be Larry, but there's like a 
terrible Larry hunting like inside right. all men. Exactly. The guy right. who the guy who appears to be Larry is not Larry. And you know, we make him gay, which is basically the episode's way of making him have no sexuality, right? Because he's we'll not call really him Gary. Yeah. <laughs> goes from Larry to Gary. And uh and the guy, yeah, and then the guy who Oz, who's like is really actively trying not to be Larry. Like he's the anti-Larry, right? So, so, just brief aside, I, you're, you've helped me imagine a 90s, a super, would not date well to today, 90s horror film where a character has the ability to turn people gay, like through some kind of therapy or magic. And then he takes violent. Curse of the Queer Wolf. Yeah, I was going to say, there is, this oh, movie, there is there's a movie called Curse of the Queer Wolf, which is basically pretty much on the nose what you're describing. Yeah, which was not in my recommendations list, but might as well be now. <laughs> like, uh, I actually have a gay werewolf uh, movie in my Rex list. So when we get to that. So there's a violent sexual creature in all of us, even the meekest. Right. Well, I and I think it's it's interesting because the 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 essay um, kind of yes. looks at that from the from the women's point of view. But I think it's also interesting to put look at it from like the Oz point of view because I feel like I really relate to the Oz character where like there's all these problematic things, all this baggage that comes with male sexuality, and it's like how do you engage with that? And Oz's move is to be like almost like an empty vessel, right? Like he doesn't have opinions or ideas. He just sort of has this deadpan thing, and he can't engage with his like relationship with willow and it's almost because like he's afraid of being larry right i mean that seems to be the score uh yeah um, I, I gotta good, say good man, analysis john yeah great I analysis. Uh, my, my only take on that is um the werewolf the, the show as as it is written in this episode the show definitely treats werewolves as just men but there are female right. werewolves and um, so this episode does focus on what seems like male sexuality, but later on, the werewolf is just a concept for sexuality, male or female. Or we, the, totally. the primal or whatever, yeah, which isn't and, even necessarily sexual. But and if, we, um, if, if we look at the beginning part of the episode, both uh, Cordelia and Xander were attacked. I mean, they were in the same car right. together. So it's not exactly like ignoring the men and going just after the women. Totally true. Um, so, the, but, but yeah, the, the way the episode presents it, it's but this episode is about male sexuality, but I don't believe that the werewolf concept really is just male sexuality. I agree completely. Yeah. And even like the the the, the essay that um, we should totally post a link to somewhere. I don't know where we would do that, but the um, the essay like specifically points that out that like Giles is like, okay, everybody, before you go and seek out all the men, uh, Giles is like, uh, you know, uh, these these like gender stereotypes aren't really going to um, they're not going to be as useful as you think they're going to be as you try to find the werewolf. It's something Giles goes out of his way to point out, which is kind of interesting. Unfortunately, Mike, you're not allowed to read this uh, this essay because it's got spoilers all the way through through to season seven. That's and cool. As it the, turns out, I actually can't look at any media read. because uh, it's full of Buffy spoilers. In fact, I got a Buffy spoiler uh, inadvertently uh, this weekend. Ah, a radio interview with Marty Noxon about some that's the definition of a buffy spoiler (laughs) (laughs) did it talk about season six uh they talked about highlights from her career working on buffy yeah uh, i turned it off but it was too late i heard a spoiler well Um, spoiler oh wait well you tell tell us what it is we should at least know what it is or tell us what it is after the podcast ends after we stop recording okay i'll tell you afterwards um the next thing i was just going to say about um the werewolf I, i i'm not sure the the really sad thing is 
I don't think the Buffyverse is more misogynistic than real life because Buffyverse has all these horribly misogynistic male characters. Part of me would like to think that that it's exaggerated, but it probably is under-exaggerated. But, I mean, I really feel for this, the Buffyverse, because Buffy's totally right on. The the male characters are awful, and even the hero hero male characters, a.k.a. Xander, have been terrible. Right. I think Buffy is totally dead. I think Buffy's right about this whole male sexuality problem. I just think it's not the werewolf, but I'm just saying, I think even her world is is an underrepresentation of the misogyny that's out in the real world 20 years later. I, I'm Agreed. just guessing. Man, no, great, great read, because like, we, we think that Larry is a werewolf, and he's not. That's just normal male sexual energy, right? Right. Yeah. Like, and, then, and there's more Larrys and Canes than Oz's in the world. Yeah. But the, in the past, in previous episodes of Buffy, you know, we've kind of explained away monstrous sexuality as literally being a monster, and it's like, oh, Larry's sexuality he's actually not a monster he's just a gay guy that's repressed but like there's other ways that you can be a monster or even kane who's like kane is like a straight up avowed misogynist in her face right like and yeah it bothers me every time that kane even gets to her you know i mean like i know like it's good writing and stuff but like that she's like kane was right like i should kill him like why are you listening to kane man Ah, you guys got guy. you guys got to read this essay. It covers all this stuff. It's really but, it's really Kane, well written. There's also a good uh, there's also a good more recent essay about Furiosa um, in Mad Max and like um, because you know a lot of people said that that movie is anti-feminist even though Furiosa is in it and their basic association is that all violence is masculine and then there's right. a good essay that's like women like violence like we're talking right. action we're not talking real life. Um, Ah, so, I can't. I cannot recommend hard enough the Shannon Crago Snell. I want to find her and maybe we should tweet at her or something. Yeah, we'll tweet at her. Uh, send me the info and I'll post it on the Buffy Twitter. Cool. Can you can you get that essay also about Furiosa? I can actually read that one. I appreciate to read at least one essay about duality. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll try to find that. Yeah, this I is read why it, your education like, is so important, Mike. <laughs> uh, do we have any other things uh, to talk about? I think that's all our themes. Right? Uh, I got a quick one here. Oh, Xander's reaction. Yeah, <laughs> I just. Yeah, go do ahead. we feel like when when uh, when Xander uh, confronts Larry in the locker room and Larry's like, "I'm gay," and Xander's like, "Ah," do we feel like Xander's being a little homophobic there with his uh, cartoonish rejection yes. and like freaking out? Like, yeah, but not any more like homophobic than a '90s teen would probably be in real life right oh yeah like, if i was xander i think people are at that time now hopefully yeah no if i was xander at that at that time in that age my reaction would have been pretty much the same well i think by now i mean this would be like a separate podcast of all the times when gay people have come out to you and then told you that they wanted you i'm sure we've all had that experience and like whatever not the wanting me aspect of it but you know maybe it's the stash yeah Wait, are uh, you, you're not be, wait, you're being unsarcastic, Mike? That's happened to you repeatedly? Uh, I mean, at least more than once. And it happened in college yeah. and in high school, for sure. I, that has never happened to me. I'm feeling oh, a little ha- left out. It happens Well, a lot. we don't walk around in wife beaters uh, showing off our guns to our friends. That, that's a good point. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, speaking of Xander and homophobia, I feel like he's almost like a little bi in this episode. I mean, he's definitely got the thing with Oz, which I've quoted numerous times but i i feel like there's more to xander's sexuality than just hetero agree 
Why does sexuality have to be so binary? Can it be more complicated? Straight up. Complicated. Yeah. Stupid binary sex shows from the 90s. And this is one of the more, like, I mean, this introduced a gay character, like a very minor character, right? But, like, this is one of the more open shows in, like, television history up to this point, right? And, uh... Well, this went under the radar, right? Like, I feel like when there's a gay character announcement, it's like, that's the show's, that's the show is about that. And this, the show isn't about this. Yeah. And it's also, it's, it's a, I mean, when you're, uh, you know, in, in media, when you're like, you're the first person, you're the, one of the first, uh, you know, TV shows or one of the first uh, media to do a new kind of representation that hasn't been done well before. There's, there's all this responsibility, right? It's like the will and grace problem. It's like, is it better to have, no representation or to have like this really stereotyped representation. Right. And I feel like Larry is this like, well, we're going to have a gay character, but the price of that is we're going to completely neuter him. Right. He's going to be nobody. He's going to have no sexuality because we can't represent that. Right. Uh, At least he didn't get killed this episode. That's true. That's true. At least he didn't get killed. Kill your gays. Right. That's a thing. Totally a thing. Uh, That's in my predictions for sure. Uh, can we move to predictions? So excited. Uh, yes, let's. Uh, are there any updates that you need to make? So um, there was one and I lost it. Where did it go? Okay. So this is not really a, a prediction that we can confirm or deny, but not you, Mike, but we had a guest virgin, uh, Kristen, on one episode. And she predicted that Cordelia and Buffy will continue fighting over boys. And I just thought it was interesting that it turns out that it's actually Cordelia and Willow who end up more fighting over boys, which was probably not that predictable. I just thought that was an interesting thing to point out. But other than that, there are no confirmed or denied predictions for this episode. Okay, wonderful. Uh, So here's my predictions. Uh, I predict Oz's werewolf powers are going to come in handy. Let's just say they're going to come in handy. And that Oz is going to save Willow as a werewolf. Cool. I'm no reaction yep. from the group. There's some nods. Cool. Uh, I predict that Kane is not coming back. I do not mean the actor Kane. I heard he comes back in Angel. I mean that Kane, that character, is a one-off werewolf bounty hunter character. Uh, I predict that Larry's going to get murdered. <laughs> Larry's going to stick around and he's going to end up dead. And... Uh, it's not going to be because he's gay. It's just going to be because he's a high school student and they need to kill more named high school students in order to like ratchet up the bounds. In fact, I'm going to predict he's going to get killed this season. Larry's done in season two. Interesting side note about named high school students and Buffy. If you look up two things about Larry, number one, if you look up on the Buffy wiki, there's a list of every named character from uh, Sunnydale high class of 99. And there's like 35 people on there with names. I was really surprised how many there are. And the second thing is that uh, at the beginning of this episode, uh, Larry gives uh, Oz all this crap about um, being, um, Larry gives all this crap about uh, being a uh, senior and dating Willow, which kind of implies, but doesn't say directly that Larry is also a senior. But then Larry is actually still in Sunnydale High. And I'm not going to blow anything here, but he's still in Sunnydale High a little later. Uh, so we know that he uh, is actually in the same class as our, our heroes. 
maybe he got that's not a spoiler back was that a spoiler uh, well that's a spoiler because he just predicted that he would die in yes season i'm wrong two. so he's gonna die in season three i got <laughs> oh shit you said, oh i didn't i didn't notice that you said in season two shit uh larry's gonna die in season three i'm uh <laughs> <laughs> shit sorry guys <laughs> um maybe he got held back a grade uh with somebody so on the on the uh, buffy wiki somebody pointed that out and then they said yeah but he's a football player and if he was grades were so poor that he was being held back he would be kicked out of football he would be kicked out oh we we do know that sunnydale may may or may not stack the books in favor of its athletes academic wise also i would like to point out i'm sorry the written prediction that you put in the notes just said larry is going to get murdered didn't say anything about season two okay i like okay so john you're only going to read the words you're going to ignore the things i say uh i'm gonna yes i i only haven't you listened to dennis i only read the dialogue i don't uh, pay any attention (laughs) to anything else and final prediction uh this isn't the last time someone will assume xander is gay i think there's an assumption that xander is gay during the coming out sequence nice uh dennis kill count um Teresa dies twice as a human and a vampire, and several uh, fauna, mostly bunnies. So that is the kill count. All right. And any recommendations? It's kind yeah, of I, amazing. Wait, in, that, that at no point, in the, like, that, it, 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 I had to watch it a couple times to make sure, but the werewolf kills nobody in this whole episode. Yeah, because that would be harder for Oz to redeem Oz. Yeah, I mean, I uh, get the reason, but it's, it's never stated super directly. And I feel like yeah. um, I would, I, it's, it's, I don't know. It's interesting. It is interesting. Yeah. Nobody gets slaughtered at the bronze. Um, yeah. I have actually a bunch of recommendations this episode because it's the first werewolf episode. So I kind of got pumped about it. Um, I recommend the movie Ginger Snaps. Ginger Snaps! Uh, which every Buffy fan, like I might've even recommended this episode, this before, but every Buffy fan should watch Ginger Snaps. It's, I mean, so similar in taste, but it's about teenage girls becoming werewolves in suburbia. Um, totally excellent movie. Uh, spawned two sequels that are How do you both feel okay. about the sequels? Yeah, sequels are... Uh, I, think, I agree they're just okay. Yeah, they're not as good as the... I mean, the first Ginger Snaps is really amazing. Um, and yeah. for some reason, the sequels don't move up, uh, live up to that level. Um, maybe it's because you can only really turn into a werewolf for the first time once. Um, the third one is, is weird. The second one, I, I think I have mentioned this on the podcast before. The second one, the girl in that, the ghost, the blonde girl, is Tatiana Masanali from um, Orphan Black. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. I did not know that. That's insane. Isn't that weird? Um, and so I wow. recommend that. I recommend the movie um, Faux Pas, which is a movie I saw at a horror film fest last year, which is like this independent movie that's um, about gay werewolves. Um, and it takes place in this world where werewolves are real and they're like a discriminated against class. So it's following this werewolf couple that are trying to make it to Maine, which is like the only state that like protects them. Um, and you know, they have to deal with uh, the main guy's family who doesn't understand them and thinks that being a werewolf is a choice and thinks that they're going to infect their young- youngest son. Um, it it's totally, great. it's totally well done. It's like a cheapy, like the werewolf effects are pretty terrible, but like it's loving, you know, it's like a pure, like they like, <laughs> loved what they made um and it's great i feel like uh werewolf effects are the hardest to do well like it, it there's so many movies where it like in this episode it looks like a fursuit and so few movies where it looks really good <laughs> yeah and especially like um 
once it starts to get to the CG territory, just because fur is so hard to animate, like, right. there's so many bad... Uh, so, no, Ginger, I, you know, I'm... Yeah, Ginger, Ginger Snaps. Snaps does, a good, does a really good job. They're, I mean, they, they make... Um, their solution is to make a hairless werewolf, which is yeah. hella gross. <laughs> uh, by the third movie, they've got, like, um, like, the American werewolf in London werewolf running around and it looks better but it like doesn't have that like disgusting feel of like this like um, naked werewolf <laughs> the body horror elements of of that movie are so good yeah the, ah but the nip the, the, the not the nipple but the the belly button piercing so gross and good yeah and the uh, tail because one of the things yeah. in the this movie and, and ginger uh snaps you only transform into a werewolf once, but it takes you a full lunar cycle. So it's like this slow transformation. Um, so she grows like the six breasts. <laughs> she gets like the uh, tail. That's like the first thing that pops up is the tail. And like, uh, it has some very like lines that you would actually think are from Buffy. In totally. That. Um, I also recommend the comic uh, Fail Wolves, which is uh, my friend Betsy does this comic. Um, it's about vegan werewolves failing at life. Um, uh, and it's great. I even wrote a comic where the fail wolves meet my character, Sammy. And I did that years ago. And Betsy's still, which said she was going to draw it, but it hasn't happened yet. But um, I consider fail wolves to exist in the same universe as my comic, Amelia. Uh, and I also recommend board games that are about trying to figure out who the traitor is, which is part of this um, episode. Uh, sorry, I'm a little distracted by Mike's um, body right now uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, board games like Battlestar Galactica and Resistance and um, the game Werewolf which is also the same as the game Mafia which is like a card game of like just those are super fun if you like playing games and it's fun it's really fun to be the monster and to try to hide it from all your friends and you really find out when you play those games that everybody is horrible at guessing who the actual killer is like an innocent person will always be killed first so, yeah, long list playing, of recommendations. Love playing those kind of games. Yeah, they're so fun. All right, do I get to do my recommendations? I'm surprised there's anything left, but I have a bunch do of TV it. shows. So my recommendations are, um, so TV shows. So Psych, season four has an episode called Let's Get Harry. It's the middle part of season four, and it's all about, um, it's a werewolf-themed episode. That's amazing. And Psych is an amazing TV show that I wholeheartedly recommend. The series um, Grimm, which is um, co-created by one of the uh, executive producers from Buffy and Angel. The first, the episode one is a pilot that has a wolf theme. And then there's a specific, there's a specific werewolf episode in Grimm season five, episode 14 called Lycanthropia. And two movies um, that Dennis did mention are uh, Blood and Chocolate, which is from 2007. And it's um, uh, set in, I think, uh, Eastern Europe, and um, it's it's a pretty fun movie. Uh, and then also Brotherhood of the Wolf, uh, which is from 2001, and it is French. Mo- it's a French movie um, that actually has some pretty big name stars. Um, and that's an also a, a fun werewolf themed movie as well. And um, Angel season five, episode five has a werewolf uh, is a werewolf episode as well, featuring a female werewolf. Um, so those of you who have seen Olive Angel can, can just check that one out individually uh, for some fun. And then um, uh, I was going to talk about Underworld briefly. Um, Underworld, of course, is a classic vampire and werewolf 
uh, movie that's not terribly well that elicits strong emotions. But classic is not a word I would use no, to no, describe I, Underworld. I say, it's a famous. It, it, it's a, it's a, it was famous. a commercial. It was a commercially successful movie. That Notorious. Spawned, it's a commercially successful movie that spawned three or four sequels, and um, one of the characters in the uh, movie Underworld actually ended up starring in a television vampire series of her own that I made John watch the other week. Um, so it's nothing to do with werewolves, but they're, you know, that's the first movie as a serious plot point between vampire and vampires and werewolves. So I guess if you've never seen that movie somehow and are listening to a Buffy pod, a Buffy podcast, check it out only because it's just a, com- you know, a relatively commercially successful movie that you can either like or hate. <laughs> But those are my recommendations. Great. Yeah, nice to get some TV recommendations in there too. And like board games. I mean, this is great variety and comic books. Uh, we'll need to call these out on uh, Twitter and Facebook and stuff so people are aware of it after this episode goes up. That'd be a great way to keep talking about this episode. Werewolves are kind of fun and weird. I guess. Oh, we- and I forgot to recommend the comic She-Wolf, which you guys hear about at the beginning of every episode. Um. I got it. It's crazy. It's a very yeah. crazy comic. Yeah. And what about what about your uh, Loop Garu? That's almost a werewolf. Oh yeah, uh, I did a comic about uh, the Cajun werewolf legend. I called it uh, Legend of the Loop Garu. It's available online if you search my name and Legend of the Loop Garu. You can find it. Read more well, Dennis comics. That's the that's the moral here. <laughs> uh, so let's talk about this uh, Buffy Virgin Zine, this retro yeah. thing. So. Dennis uh, sent us a message uh, earlier this week in our kind of show Slack channel recommending or coming up with the idea for a zine. Travis is smiling because he's never heard of it. Because Travis isn't on our Slack channel. I uh, thought it was a weird thing you, you wrote. I, thought, I was like, where's this Buffy zine being published? I'd never heard of it. Right, because I, 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 I wrote this email after Dennis prompted for an essay and I shared it with everybody, but yeah. Uh, well, this is perfect. Let's explain it to Travis and the viewers at home. Sure, so... It sounds like go Dennis, please. Oh, um, in October, I'm going to go to, um, the famous monsters, uh, horror convention. Um, they're doing like a Halloween bath this year. So I usually bring my own comics and stuff. And I was going to bring, uh, uh, you know, business cards that say Buffy Virgin, but I thought we've got enough material. Why not make a Buffy Virgin zine? Um, so, uh, this October, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about more as it comes up, but we're, uh, and I, after it debuts at the con, we'll probably sell it online, depending on how many copies I have left. Um, uh, but it's going to have uh, all the monster art I've made for it. It's going to have um, uh, a great touching essay that uh, Mike Poli just wrote. Um, and it's going to have uh, some other stuff. I don't know, like uh, some recommendations and um, podcasting tips. Um, it's just going to be like a fun old school zine uh, focused on Buffy Virgin. That sounds awesome. I can't wait to, I'd like to do some art for it too. Maybe we can yeah. uh, uh, get some, get some stuff from land. Landis likes to make uh, strange things. Maybe some strange things will be made. I do. Uh, getting that to Dennis will require negotiating UPS and stuff, but I think that's doable. Um, that sounds really cool, Dennis. Thanks for, thanks for doing that. That'll be really fun. I don't know how many copies will be made. I don't know how much it'll cost more information. I'm sure we'll, yeah, we'll figure that out. It it probably won't be too expensive. It's going to be, you know, maybe a color cover. Um, cool. Well, I'm sure we'll all find ways to pitch in. Maybe we can uh, do a Patreon or some kind of way for people to pay for this. Speaking yeah. of which, Dennis, I understand you're doing a Patreon. Is that true? 
Uh, yeah, I think so. Um, I'm not going to uh, really figure it out until after Comic-Con because you know, there's no point in announcing anything during Comic-Con. Um, but yeah, I, I think I'm going to uh, launch a Patreon to help um, support my self-publishing horror comics because uh, it's expensive. Um, so I don't have all the tiers worked out yet, but there will be like free digital copies of my comics you can get and uh, probably sketchbook pages that will be like uh, you'll probably be able to access my thumbnails and stuff. And then if you're at the highest level, I'll just immediately ship you new comics. You're um, just like Oz then. It's, you're so emotionally unavailable. You can't work out your tears. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. I wonder that band tears for fears. They're really just talking about tears in a Patreon, how challenging it is to put it together. <laughs> Uh, great. Well, thank you guys for joining us for another episode of uh, Buffy Virgin back next week uh, for season two, episode 22. Um, oh, um, oh, I want to also do a shout out to uh, our Twitter uh, friend, Renee Pope Monroe, who during this podcast uh, tweeted about uh, the episode surprise and innocence. Um, and she said, um, as a woman who watched this as a teen, I didn't take it as sex with older boyfriend equals evil. So do you guys have any response to that? Vindication, uh, vindication, vindication. Uh, I feel uh, like I feel like your conception of what uh, is appropriate and not appropriate changes over time. And I'm sure none of this registered when we watched it when we were kids. But as an adult, it definitely registers as sex with older men is evil. Uh, so, but I mean, everyone's inclined to like you can read it however you like. But that's the thing that stood out to me as as what was going on in that episode. I'm just psyched that someone is listening and responding. That's really cool. Yeah. Thank you, Renee Pope. Um, Do you want to be on the podcast? You could yeah. be on the uh, podcast if you want. You sound like you know she your had, stuff. She had some major praises for our uh, uh, bad eggs episode. So there. Uh, she says, as a 30-something no, Australian. you don't get to be on the podcast. <laughs> who can quote Tank Girl and resonate, uh, resonates heavily with Strictly. This ep, this ep is making teenage me sing. So there. Maybe maybe the Buffy Virgin can message this person through the power of Twitter. I don't have Twitter, so I don't know how all this works. But I think that can happen. It's a highly complicated process, Travis. I, you know, I'm not sure that we can swing that. It's like yeah, a secret it, it's society. Also a lot of... <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm on been, uh, correction, I've been saying this is season two, episode 21. It's episode 15. Just done, John, That's correct. Put a different yeah, heading we, on the stock here. Oh, yeah, did I? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. because... Okay, that's my bad. All right. I know. Cool. I know why I did that. It's because we have notes up to episode twenty, and I said that was the next one. That's cool. my bad. Fixed. Well, fixed. Well, it. when I was looking up what the next episode was, I was like, "That's not it. I don't know what that is." Yeah. My bad. Fixed. Yes. Yeah, so the next episode is bewitched, bothered, and bewildered. Yeah. Mm. Oh, I can't wait to do that one. Cool. Well, we'll have to do that next week. Uh, thank you, everybody. Uh, be sure to follow us, of course, on uh, Twitter, the Buffy Virgin Pod. We're Buffy Virgin on Facebook. We're going to try to get better at allowing, getting people, uh, like get, getting feedback and uh, hearing your comments there um, and posting more weird Buffy stuff as we come across it. We're also on Instagram. And we're on Instagram. Yeah. You can see Dennis's great art on Instagram. I think it's just Buffy Virgin on Instagram. Mm hmm. So, yeah, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Follow us places. Review us on iTunes and, uh, Check check out some of our recommendations. We this really touched a, a nerve with us this week, so check them out. Yeah, Pork uh, and beans. There's a there's a list on uh, letterbox.com that has uh, all the recommendations. Um, I've, I've tweeted about it, and it's on Facebook. Uh, but it's 
all the films that Dennis recommends are on letterbox.com. And we just do it there because it's easy to like create a list uh, with links and reviews and stuff. Um, but anyway, thank you guys so much and we'll see you next week.